who need to have answers. Watch it, he keep asking. So he joined the Black Panthers. Have a mission, know the system. Then fight, try to get order. Fight capitalism and socialism. Fight fire with water. The right cause, good plan. That requires understanding. The life cause, the good man. The Black Messiah, Fred Hampton. Hello and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about Judas and the Black Messiah and I'm happy to be joined, rejoined by my friends, Josh Brown. What's up, Josh? What's up? And uh, Daniel Lima. Daniel, thanks for being here. Uh, Thanks for having me. Love being here. So Judas and the Black Messiah is the new movie from director Shaka King. It's produced by Ryan Coogler, written by Will Burson, Shaka King himself, and also story by credits for the Lucas Brothers, the comedy duo you might know from 22 Jump Street. It tells the story of the uh, Illinois chapter of the Black Panther Party, the chairman of whom, Fred Hampton, was uh, tragically killed in a, in a plot by the FBI. And the movie, which was largely pitched as a biopic about Fred Hampton, or even marketed that way, it actually kind of tells the story also of William O'Neill, someone who the FBI arrested for uh, impersonating a federal officer and attempted robbery and got him to infiltrate the Black Panthers and used him in their uh, – surveillance activities and eventual hunting down of Fred Hampton. And it tells the story of the both of them over 1968 and 1969, uh, leading up to Fred Hampton's tragic death. And it stars uh, Daniel Kaluuya as Fred Hampton, uh, Lakeith Stanfield as Bill O'Neill, and Jesse Plemons as uh, Roy Mitchell, the FBI agent who is, uh, gets O'Neill to infiltrate the Black Panthers. I guess I'll start with you, Daniel, because, you know, you pulled a real Josh Chernovoy move and decided you just absolutely were not going to watch this trailer. Not that you got ahead of yourself and said you were convinced it was going to be good, but the hook was such that you knew you were going to see this movie and uh, didn't feel the need to even bother watching the trailer. And I got to say, sometimes when I pull that move myself, I just end up hyping up a movie too much in my head, especially if, like, the early word of mouth is good. So I got to ask you to start, did this movie live up to the hype? It was fine. (laughs) All right. All right. So look, 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 look. Like you said, it's not that I thought that this was going to be like, you know, the greatest movie to end all movies and all that jazz. You know, I I just, you know, knew that I get to seeing it. I admittedly don't know a lot about the history of Fred Hampton. Um, I knew of his assassination. I knew that there were there was an FBI informant. Didn't know that he was publicly known, honestly. That's about it. So going into this, I had very I had I, I didn't know what I was really getting into. And I liked it. I mostly liked it, but I felt that it it's held back by uh, a certain, I don't know how to even put it really, lack of perspective, personality maybe, an odd sort of uh, disjointed narrative. Um, I think that all the, you know, essentials, all the, you know, how it's shot, written, the performances, I think they're all good, uh, but it never coalesces into something even greater. I got you. Josh, uh... I, I, that's actually one criticism I've seen by the, about the movie a little bit was that maybe people didn't feel like they really got inside the personalities of some of the characters in the movie as much as they would have liked. Uh, what did you ultimately think of the movie, and did you feel like you really connected with these performances that Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield gave? See, on the performance front, I thought performances were really good. And, and like, here's the thing: I, I like I want to get off by saying like I did like the movie, and so far out of the best picture contenders that I've seen. Um, now keep in mind, I haven't seen Nomadland or Minari as of this recording, but out of the ones I've seen so far that have a reasonable shot to win Best Picture, it, it stands out, but also weak-ass field, so take that with a grain of salt. But putting that aside, I was taking, this is sort of like, I was taken aback by, it was being, I, like, I had a similar take of Daniel, but different reasons, so it might be a concurring opinion. Okay. Uh, but... Yeah, see, you appreciate that, the lawyer and you. All right, all right. Um, sure, sure. <laughs> but um, when I was watching the movie, I, I acknowledged the disjointed narrative. Uh, um, I was like, huh, this is very oddly constructed. But I, bo- I view that as both a boon and a bust. Kind of, this is a weird movie to compare it to. But the movie, like a, another time I had like a reaction to that was like It 2, where like 
this movie is oddly constructed. It's way too long, but I kind of admire the fact that it's oddly constructed <laughs> um, because it's not, you know, formulaic and stuff like that. And where, and I wouldn't say it doesn't have any personality to me, like a movie about a civil rights leader with no personality where the characters feel like archetypes is one night in Miami. This movie, it did feel like it did have like a perspective that like, I think I felt where like Shaka King was coming from, but I think ultimately maybe it, like, and it's weird to say this about a movie about like this serious dramatic subject matter, but like, and it's probably a thought I had like after watching another movie um, that takes place in a sim in this, uh, that takes place around the time this movie takes place, but was made from that era, but also um, about similar subject matter is like, huh, this movie is very self-serious. Like, there's no jokes in it, which is fine. But, like, I don't know. I, 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 like, I, I can't really... Maybe throughout the, this uh, 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 podcast, I'll sort of understand what kind of left me out of remove. But I did really, really appreciate the movie. Um, like Daniel, I think there is, like, greatness there. And it's like, it just eluded it. But it came pretty damn close for me. It's it's funny that you brought up One Night in Miami because that's one of the movies I thought of, like thinking about this movie I think about it in relation to a lot of others that I've seen and One Night in Miami comes up. So when I say that it has no personality, admittedly I feel like it does a more successful job of embodying uh these people particularly Fred Hampton. I think it does a better job at humanizing them than One Night in Miami does. Uh, which I felt that that was just kind of a retelling of their personal histories and their accomplishments. Uh, and these characters were limited to what they did in life versus who they were. Um, this movie, I, admittedly, I don't get that sense. But at the same time, I struggle to think of how they, what is Fred Hampton beyond the revolutionary uh, Black Panther Marxist you know, rhetoric, uh, rhetorician. Uh, well, how do you, what's the word for somebody who's like a really powerful speaker? Orator. See, Orator. Yeah. There we go. Quick question though. Like, could you say that like, isn't like part of the character is somewhat because his life is cut short. He is somewhat an enigma to like the people around him. Well, yeah, part of the, I mean, a big part of the thing, the story is that like, uh, J. Edgar Hoover, who, I mean, just a great guy from everything I've seen. <laughs> Which, by the way, let me go on a rant right there. You okay. J. Edgar Hoover. This yeah. is the podcast to make this rant, okay. all right? You don't know how much it fucking bothers me that Clint Eastwood made that biopic, J. Edgar, and made the shitty movie that he made, all right? So that is... The Jay Edgar, if there's anybody who deserves a biopic that could be very interesting and it could be a great thriller, it's J. Edgar Hoover. And the person who probably should make a J. Edgar Hoover biopic is Oliver Stone because he has that paranoid energy of J. Edgar Hoover, right? But no, like, like Clint, like, is which you know how that movie, that movie is such a fucking failure. That's the only Leonardo DiCaprio flop of the 2010. Only one. And it's a piece yeah, of shit. Yeah, yeah. And, and and let me continue on that in this review of uh, Jay Edgar that we're all doing. Uh, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I've never I, I've never seen it, but my point was Jay Edgar Hoover, great guy. No, my my point my point was that I think part of it was that he he realized like you know it was funny. I was listening to a a, a, a clubhouse chat. I've only gotten on that app once, but uh, Bomani Jones, who I think I've mentioned on one of our previous podcasts, ESPN personality and big fan of, did a hangout with Michael Smith and other uh, sports journalist guy talking about the movie and i mean i guess it was very dark humor but they made the joke that uh jagger scouted out fred hampton like he was young lebron james man we can't allow this guy to reach that potential uh because he, he's he's gonna be so great and I, yeah no like I, I, so like they, 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 he never had the chance to become like the fully formed person you, you're, you guys are kind of wishing we would have seen i guess you know Mm, I don't know if I buy that. Look, admittedly, like I said, I don't know too much about Fred Hampton. Um, I didn't. I don't think I've seen any of his speeches outside of the context of like a documentary on the Black Panthers. Um, that being said, uh, I, I I don't know that I necessarily buy that the 21 year old uh, man had no personality beyond his revolution. Well, that's, that's not what I was saying. I, was I know, just, I know, I know. Yeah. But like, I I don't know that. That was the point, and if it was, uh, I, it just 
it it's still you still are left with this feeling that you know there's more to this guy that you're kind of leaving on the cutting room floor the only opportunities we have to 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 get to know him outside of that context is really in his relationship and honestly that's i think the only part of the movie that i didn't really like i don't i don't know every time he got with i forgot who was the actress who plays uh, Dominique, Do- Dominique Fishback. Do I know her from something else? She was in she was in The Deuce and she was in Show Me a Hero. So David Simon kind of discovered her and she had uh, roles oh, in both yeah, of those she's shows. Great. I, I didn't like it wasn't until like after the movie where I put because I was like, who, who is this person? And I didn't realize like, oh, I remember her arc in Show Me a Hero. Very underrated. It's it's funny. Everybody goes to bat for like The Wire and shit or whatever. I've only seen the first season. The first episode of season two, like on the ports. I'm like, I got to watch an entire season on the fucking ports. Oh, my God. I can't believe you. I did not realize you've never seen all of The Wire. Oh, my yeah, God. No, I'm bad, honestly. I've only seen the first season. Now, I know, like, when you get to, like, probably the season on, like, City Hall and the city, the, the season on about, like, the media and stuff like that. I mean, the, the, the greatest television season of all time is oh. season four of The Wire, which is about the public school system. So I feel like you, yeah, got, I, you really need to make it to that. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. You you should have you should have you should have said, oh, she was the girl from Project Power. Now, if you had said that, I'd be like, oh, yeah, so I have seen her be good in other movies. Look, I actually don't think she's I think she's OK. But the fact is, every time she was on screen with him and they're trying to do that romance stuff, it just it never connected. I think that honestly goes into a larger problem with the movie. Um, I think one of the reasons why I feel like the romance between her and uh, Daniel Kaluuya just doesn't really land for me is because I think this movie, when I say that this movie lacks personality, I think that goes into the filmmaking also. Now, it looks really good. It's very, it, it looks really good. Uh, I'm not really a cinematography person, so I can't go much further than that. Uh, I believe it's shot on film, correct? Um, yeah, like, uh, yeah, no, like, see, Daniel's like the person who really does not give a shit about the distinction between film and digital and doesn't like he and you probably say he like doesn't really see like an aesthetic difference either. And and this was like the rare time where he's like asked me, was it shot on film? And I, I and like nowadays with like digital, like, you know, like Joker, for instance, is a movie that does a very good job for all its faults, like emulating a film look. You know, sometimes it's like it's getting to the point where like these digital films like are indistinguishable. So I actually had to look it up and it was Sean. So, yeah, I read an interview with Sean Bobbitt, who I believe uh, yeah, he shoots he on film. Yeah, he's Steve McQueen's guy. Yeah. A place beyond the pines and all that. And uh, I, I apparently, um, you know, they were, you know, going for uh, a, a look that really captured the era. And uh, he even considered shooting on film i mean uh, shooting in black and white which was uh vetoed um by, yeah, yeah. This, uh, this is a warner brothers release <laughs> <laughs> no, we can't be having this shit. i thought it was shot on film and it's like in no disrespect to shaka king but like you know he's not necessarily like a known mainstream director right um mm-hmm. i was actually kind of it, it is like it's weird that like the studio was really when when a movie shot on film, that means like the studio is really banking on it in, in terms of a prestigious like. Yeah, the guy who did Newlyweeds, who would have thought? But um, yeah, I, I, in spite of that though, I think that there's a clear difference between this and um, another kind of you know procedural uh, movie about black issues, uh, Black Klansman. Um, look, like for example, right? Think about all the speeches that you see in this movie, right? You know, of course you have the language. He has the rhetoric down, you know. In the moment, it's good. Um, but at the same time, I, I struggle to think back really on any of the uh, the rhetoric of the movie. Meanwhile, the Therese speech in uh, Black Klansman, where, you know, you're getting these close-up of all the black faces in the audience, and it, it resonates with me even now. Poetry in that scene. Yeah, exactly. Um, the craft matches the poetic nature of the rhetoric, and I don't think it ever really this film ever really goes into that territory. Well, I find it hard. I find it hard to like uh, think back. I mean, I I, I can vis- I can visualize the Kwame Ture scene a little bit, but I can't remember a lot of the words from it because I mean I haven't watched that movie in a couple years. But I my my thought was that as I was watching this movie, and I haven't even really said yet, I really liked it probably a little more than you guys, but. I, it was, I really liked it. It, yeah. it gets a four out of five. 
Okay, cool. And I and I might go four and a half. But my my thing was that I was thinking back. I was like, like like Daniel, I didn't know a ton about the Black Panthers, and I but I knew enough to know like, hey, like these guys stood for good things. They you know. I, I had no no problems with any of that, but I don't actually think I knew much about their political platform, and I didn't and I, and I didn't remember the Kwame Tracy and really giving a lot of details about that. Maybe it does. I just couldn't remember that off the top of my head. So I came into this movie really actually not knowing much other than the fact that like these guys aren't the domestic terrorists like someone like Jagger Hoover wanted to make them out to be, and they obviously stood for you know equality, liberation of their people all that and i'm like that's all good stuff but i didn't actually understand i I did not know enough to know actually i'd seen a fred hampton quote put on twitter before i saw it i didn't actually know that he advocated for a lot of socialist principles oh you didn't know that no i did i just didn't here's my thing here's my thing i was taken aback like you didn't know the black panthers like what they stood for didn't you see it in 2018 chadwick they went to wakanda (laughs) (laughs) it was a huge phenomenon yeah, he's a champion of Wakanda. I mean, we, the, the, hey, the, the Wakandans were just hoarding all of their natural resources. They didn't give a shit about giving back. I mean, <laughs> enough, so what you're you saying know, is that I, the Wakanda and, uh, and Wakanda they don't have a hybrid economy, and, and, and probably uh, uh, Medicare for all wouldn't fly there. Is what you're saying? Yeah. Funnily enough, uh, I, this is an aside that has nothing to do with the movie we're talking about. Did you know? That in the 60s, they actually renamed Black Panther T'Challa the character once the Black Panther Party, you know, rose to prominence. And they called him, I, I think they just called him the Panther in order to distinguish him from the party. Did not know that. Yeah. But anyways, yes, they were a bunch of, you know, socialists. Well, no. And I, so that my thing was that, like, I, I really appreciated that the movie, not that I thought it was going to be a a cradle to the grave biopic of Fred Hampton based on what I knew about the plot. But I just had a lot of respect for the fact that, I mean, one, to like uh have like into their ideology it delved in there which i respected and it also like you know i mean i think it's a bold choice to like have your protect kind of have your protagonist be the snitch and spend a lot of time with him when obviously uh a lot of the people are going to more identify and want to celebrate uh fred hampton's life and i mean they're campaigning they're campaigning kaluuya and supporting actor for the oscars not that that may actually makes him the supporting actor in this movie but i I wouldn't be surprised if lakeith stanfield had a little more screen time than him so it's kind of a bold choice and i i kind of liked that they were like all right we're gonna i thought they gave me a good enough sense of like what fred hampton stood for maybe we i mean i don't know I thought the scenes with him and Dominic Fishback were well acted. Uh, yeah, there's maybe a version of this that – I mean I would watch a miniseries of this and maybe you could delve more into like what he's like when he's not giving speeches. But I respected the fact that like they were like, we're going to give you a sense of who Fred Hampton is and this movie is going to be about why the powers that be were threatened by him. And I was like, you know, obviously they're not dropping bodies. Like, like I, I should say one thing I knew about them was that you know they use very fiery rhetoric and the fact is like these fbi guys they the the, the black panthers were obviously not out there dropping bodies like jagger hoover wanted you to think they were he very well knew that that wasn't the case so i like the fact that this movie is like look here's what these guys stood for they stood for all these ideas that are far more mainstream now than they were 50 years ago and honestly that's probably what these guys are scared of more so than getting straight up murdered and uh the fact is like there are still forces today working against these principles and the black panthers are really ahead of their time and i like that the movie was able to accomplish a story that t- uh, that telling us that kind of story while still feeling like i got a good enough idea of who fred hampton was maybe i could have gotten a better idea of who he was but the fact is that i i I, I like that I like that classroom scene was what I was gonna say. I thought the classroom scene at the beginning was actually better for me than the speeches, even if the speeches were extremely well acted, and I'm not gonna be upset if Daniel Kulia wins an Oscar. I really enjoyed seeing him pontificate about their principles. Actually, funny you should we'll put a pin on the uh on the bifurcated narrative and how, you know, the the, the uh the Keith Stanfield character is kind of the main character. We'll put a pin on that. But like in terms of you know, how it's portrayal of like the Black Panther ideology and the revolutionary uh, zeal. Um, I, I, I'm with you in that. I appreciate the, uh, even though, you know, I don't think, you know, the movie was, you know, needed to be like a, uh, just a, I didn't want this movie to just be a, this is the thing, these are the things that uh, 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 Fred Hampton did. Uh, apparently, I think I read somewhere that Shaka King said that he saw like the narrative focusing on uh, Will O'Neill as a uh, as a way to do kind of a stealth biopic. 
um, which I took I take as like you know him saying he didn't want to do a standard biopic of this man. Um, mm-hmm. That being said. I still sort of feel that it's weird in in ways. I'm sorry. I'm going to be referencing other movies constantly and trying to, you know, express my thoughts about this movie. But you remember when we talked about Trial of the Chicago 7? Of course. I was going to bring that up anyway. Yeah. And how, like, this was a – that was a movie about a bunch of um, uh, revolutionaries, a bunch about – about a bunch of what's anti-establishment figures that was actually fairly conservative in its filmmaking – yeah, and also a movie that features Fred Hampton briefly. Yes. Um, and I feel like this movie in some ways kind of does the same thing, albeit, you know, it, it's a better movie, I feel. But, uh, you know, it doesn't really feel when I'm watching it like it is revolutionary. You know, they detail the things that these people did, believed, said. You know, we see a bit of the formation of the Rainbow Coalition. We see him talk about, uh, you know, the uplifting of all people, you know, destroying the yoke of capitalism. But the movie doesn't really focus on that. Like, they say that this is the things that he did, but the main focus is on this relate. I mean, I can't even say the main focus is on this relationship with Will O'Neill. It's just kind of there, and like the filmmaking doesn't even really do much to sell that revolutionary zeal. You know, you look at a movie made, you know, in the era this movie was is depicting. You look at Spooku sat by the door. You watch the movie, and it feels like you're watching something dangerous. It feels like you're watching something that they do not want you to see. I never got that sense with Judas and the Black Messiah. And by the way, like a movie, I was comparing it to. Um, uh, like, cause right after I watched the film, I watched, I don't know if it was intentional or unintentional, but I actually know cause the movie kind of put me in the mood for it. Um, I was, I watched the early black exploitation film called Cotton Comes to Harlem as Daniel knows very well. That predated and, the movie actually, funnily enough, it predates, I believe that movie came out in 1970. It predates, uh, Shaft and, uh, Sweet Sweetback's, uh, uh, badass song. Yeah. So, and the like, movie... Yeah, and and so it, it takes it takes um, ah, it was made like two years after the events of uh, Judas and the Black Messiah um, occur, and so you know roughly around that same time period and about a very similar subject matter in that film, it's about like you know the cops are colluding to take down this uh, black leader who is sort of you know kind of like the Hampton of his co- uh, community, except he's a pimp. And um, there's like a fictionalized version of the free Huey P. Newton. It's a different character, but or maybe they are covering Huey P. Newton. I I don't remember, but like, um, but what was interesting in contrast to this film, you know, a movie that is you know uh, set in the uh, past but made today, and comparing it to a movie that was made roughly in the same time period that, that this movie takes place in, and about a very similar subject matter because it's clear that you know fred hampton and stuff it's on their minds like it's there's there's a lot of parallels and it's almost like a fictionalized retelling of it um and and what's kind of interesting about it was that uh a that movie i'm not saying and again judas and black messiah better movie but that being said what's kind of interesting about it is like and maybe it's because it's the 70s they had like a much as a much goofier tone Right. And this movie is a lot more self-serious. To be fair, this movie is actually a true story. But it's kind of interesting in terms of when we depict like historical events, like that there isn't any sense of levity. And then going back to the Black Klansman comparison in that film, it's not just that there's jokes and there's levity, but you see this huge life like surrounding the characters while they're tackling this um awful event in their lives like yeah i think back to the scene in black klansmen when like you know they're at the dance floor or the john david washington uh characters courting um the black uh, panther there's a uh, sense that there there's a sense that these people's lives extend beyond the struggle exactly exactly and 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 uh and then, like black, and sometimes with like black uh, movies, especially like civil rights drama, they kind of suffer from the fact that because they're talking about this tra- uh, tra- traumatic event in American history, that they're very, 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 very self-serious, and, and it's and, and and almost to the point where it's like, damn, like 
us black people? Is there ever a moment that like we can like fucking breathe? Like, you know, yeah, <laughs> like exactly. is there a moment we can just live, man? Um, actually, funnily, you mentioned that even Fuku sat by the door, which is a very self-serious movie that I think does capture the revolutionary spirit of the era it's depicting. Um, that's a movie that has jokes. There's a, there's, there's fun. They have a little bit of fun, even in the midst of a, you know, a, a planning committee on how to organize their war against the police. You know, they'll break out in this kind of pantomime, uh, minstrel show to mock black people who, you know, are capitulating, uh, to and white power. So, and I think like me and Dale or Daniel and I, are not like saying this movie should have been a comedy. I, I want that to be clear to your listeners. No, I, I, saying... I totally get that. Like, I think this a, it's like a really valid point that like a lot of movies sometimes about such topics or even about different type of subject matter though. Like whenever wh- wh- just any kind of movie that's about someone fighting for the greater good, they, they need to like take the time to actually show you like what it is they're, what they're fighting for. Um, I feel that way about superhero movies a lot, you know, I mean, I know it's a totally different thing, but it's like, why, why, Hey, why are we going to all this trouble again? Uh, and in in some, like do, do a a pretty good job of that. And I I can kind of see that for this movie specifically with respect to like having any more lighthearted moments or anything like that. I, I would say as far as like capturing the revolutionary spirit, I would kind of agree to the extent that like it feels like it's just kind of dotting the I's and crossing the T's with respect to like when they go talk to the young Patriots, the, the, the Southern, the white Southerners they end up aligning with mm-hmm. or, or the, um, I'm sorry, I'm drawing a blank on the, the Hispanic group they align with. At the, they uh, call them in the movie. They call them the, 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 the crowns, but I, no, 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 the, the crown, the crowns are the black group that they, uh, the, the black gang that they team up with. Oh, right, right, right. I believe I'm trying to remember the name. Yeah. Uh, I think it was the Kings. Yeah. Something like yeah, that. Yeah. It's something like that. And like, they they spend a couple minutes on each of those, and I think that like that's like the most most the most powerful part of it in a way, as far as just what what, what the potential was for the kind of revolution that Fred Hampton could have brought about. And I mean, they show like a, a I mean, that's like maybe like three minutes where they're at like a speech where it's not if that where they each of them get a chance to talk at a speech, and it's like yeah, it's the Young Lords, by the way. Young okay, Lords. yeah, yeah, and that's maybe a corner of this world that the movie could have spent a little more time in to really make you think like, wow, he was really on the precipice of something. Yeah, and like I, I do think that um, I, I'm with you on that. I, I again, I don't want this movie to just have been like a traditional retelling of all the things this man did, but you know, there are glimpses of a, I think a more interesting portrait of who this guy was, the things he did. Um, because I mean, the idea that, you know, he joined up with like, you know, a white Southern immigrants into Chicago and like this Latin American group. And like, they formed this rainbow coalition that like all fought, you know, for, uh, you know, these radical socialist groups all fighting under the same banner. That's the galvanizing moment. That's the moment where, you know, the, the, the authorities decided they needed to stop this man. So like, a little bit more of that probably would have done this movie some favors. At the same time, like you, I sort of do appreciate the, the the way that they were like, you know, let's focus on the infiltrator of this group, the Judas uh, of this story. Well, and I, I think that does offer a more interesting. Per- uh, a, a, a oh my God, he's the Judas. In the title. <laughs> oh man! No, I wanted to. I wanted to ask you guys about that because I feel like we've been we focused on the negative a little bit too much. And you said you liked the performances, so I guess I have a two part question for either of you: Is that like one? Because I mean, as powerful as Daniel Kaluuya's performance is, I think Lakeith Stanfield has the harder role. Uh, yeah, because his performance is so internal, and then also he has the you know he 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 has the more unsympathetic part, you know. Yeah, yeah and, um, and I think he, and he's. He's given how he found himself in that. Yeah, situation. he's given some interesting interviews about that, about the level of sympathy he had to find for him as for for a guy who he was playing, whose actions he thought were still rather despicable. Uh, and I think that's been a lot of talk about it. And I, I mean, I I don't think I've seen anyone come down on the side of oh no, this movie like uh, really is, goes too easy on Bill O'Neill. So I guess my question to you guys is, uh, as someone whose actions who you might disagree with, it seems like. I, I think it's I think it's fair to say you can still understand 
the position he was put in in the choices he made even if like he probably didn't do the right thing and do you think that like do you do you agree with that statement and how do you think look Keith Stanfield did in portraying a guy who's like emotions had to have just been all over the place and as we see becomes kind of conflicted and as we see in the archival interview footage kind of like gets in over his head to the point where he kind of considered himself a member of the movement no, fuck well, that. Like, no, fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I've got no sympathy for him. Well, I, I love the mo- like. I love how the movie does open where he's just sort of your like, like, like a shitty like uh, a street thief. Like he's, he's it opens with him breaking into a car, and, and and he's just like he's not a good criminal. He's just trying to hustle to get by. Also, 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 finds- look, Keith Stanfield is twenty eight years old. Uh, at the start of the events of this movie, in theory. Bill O'Neill's supposed to be seventeen, and Fred Hampton's supposed to be nineteen. They they look they, they looked I, old I'm for their you. age. I, actually, I'll I'll get to that in a moment. Well, why not? You brought it up. Well, um, I, I cut Josh. I, I cut Josh off. Let Josh finish his thought. No, I just like how like the movie opens with like him like failing at this crime. So it kind of he's he reminds me a little bit. It's almost like a John Cazale part, you know, like John Cazale mm. in like Dog Day Afternoon, or even like as Fredo. I thought you were about to say of, he reminds me of myself. Um, <laughs> But he's like this bubbling thief, right? Like he doesn't know better, right? And it's sort of like maybe because of the circumstances in his upbringing and stuff like that led him to this point. Obviously, like I'm going to factor in socioeconomics as well. But you get what I'm saying where like he's not a thief by choice. It's his only means to survive and he's not very good at it. And thus he finds himself in, in the crosshairs of the FBI. Yeah, go to the age point though. I, I do want to point out that uh, at the in that opening scene when they realize that he's not actually a cop, they're like, he's just a kid. And in my head, I'm like, that bro was like 30. What are you talking about? He's just a kid. And okay. I do think that there's a bit. And here's the thing. I do think there's a bit lost um, in the fact that you know both these men are like in their 30s, and but like this is a this the the, the people in this story were like you know, teenagers, they were kids. That's honestly what makes this all the more tragic. But if you look at it, if, if you do look at the footage of Fred Hampton from that time, like he could pass for like that age. Yeah. Here's my thing. Here's my thing. Like I, I, and I get Daniel's point and I think it's an interesting point. That being said, high school teacher, I've seen kids that are taller than me that kind of look like Lakeith Stanfield. <laughs> like, um, uh, fair enough. But like my point is that I think there's a little bit lost in like looking at this and thinking, oh, like watching this movie, I kept thinking of these two as grown ass men. And right. then at the end when I'm like reminded because I knew how old Fred Hampton was, didn't know about Will. But like I'm reminded of how young the people in this movie were. And I'm thinking that it's it, it, it's almost like uh, the, the death of this movement, this beautiful new young thing that was stomped on, uh, you know, by the authorities. And I think that it loses a bit of that tragic element with, you know, them being aged up. That being said, I will say that, yes, I do think Lakeith Stanfield uh, is doing the tougher job. I think that he does manage to thread the needle, even if I I can. There's no way that I'm ever going to be sympathetic to Will O'Neill. But I do think that he finds a way to, like, thread the needle. I think he has a more, honestly, in the film, an interesting inner life than Fred Hampton does uh, because of that complexity between how he uh you know is an informant he is a dude just looking for his next meal but he also is kind of being the movie does try to like paint him as like being kind of coerced by the panther ideology and how much of that is actually true is a bit of an open question but, yeah, but also at the um, same time I mean, in the within the movie. Yeah, but I don't. I, and I, I, my my opinion is that I don't think it do, goes too far in like making him seem like sympathetic or, or or portraying him in a positive light because I think those scenes at the steakhouse actually do a lot of heavy lifting in that regard. In that, yeah, yeah, I remember him dressing in that fine suit. Yeah, you kind of see like, oh wow, like even if like you see him being kind of conflicted, it's like he's he's getting something out of this, and he's enjoying a lot of the materialistic uh, benefits of what the FBI is paying him for what he's ultimately doing. That combined with what I think is the best scene in the movie, uh, being the final scene in Fred's apartment before he drugs him, uh, and just the in, in the best piece of acting in the movie, in my opinion, when Lakeith has to like uh, talks to Fred for the last time. 
uh, or when Bill talks to Fred for the last time and he's, uh, you don't really know what's going to come out of his mouth. And he ultimately like makes the comment about getting him a drink and you know what he's getting that drink for because like he is on the verge of like bursting into tears because Fred is talking about like going into the, like going to do the five year bid in prison instead of going abroad to like, uh, spread the movement overseas and at that point it's like he he knows like oh man like i i did a bad thing like look at this guy who is like standing for all that's right is not backing down from a a five-year prison term whereas like i decided to just like inform on them to avoid a prison term of basically exactly the same length and the ironic thing about the whole movie is it just ended up in a different kind of prison and i think that like he seeing him because lakeith's uh, acting is so good in that moment like come to that realization it's like oh wow even he knows he was wrong so i think we can all safely say to ourselves yeah the movie knows he was wrong yeah man it ends with the title card of him like committing suicide Mm-hmm. Um, and in his later years, and, 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 and yeah, I actually want to ask you. Apparently, his wife claims it was accidental, but he know, accidentally he said. accidentally walked out on the interstate. But uh, the I want to ask you guys about that. Like, I think it's actually kind of ironic. And because, you know, we, we mentioned Trial of Chicago 7, and I, like I said, I didn't know much about Fred Hampton. I, I, I think I knew the name before Trial of Chicago 7. I didn't know anything beyond that. And then I watched Trial of Chicago 7, and they have the moment where Bobby Seale is informed that Fred has been killed. And my understanding of the murder, because I didn't research more about it, because I knew this movie was coming down the line, and I didn't want to learn too many of the facts beforehand. So my understanding mm-hmm. of it from Trial of Chicago 7, when, uh, when they tell Bobby what happened, I kind of assumed that he died in circumstances – uh, th- that were ba- that were basically just like the uh, that were like the first shootout in this movie, which I think is pretty well staged. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought I thought I thought it was kind of like circumstances like that, where uh, but what the FBI did the provocation. So like I, I it was my, like that was kind of what I had assumed going in was that it was definitely the FBI's fault, but it was just kind of that was like just how I took it in when they talked about it in Trial of Chicago Seven was that oh he died in some kind of like shootout where like the FBI definitely was in the wrong. And so then I see this and I was like, oh, no, it was a straight execution. And, yeah. and if, so, anything, if anything, it's even worse in real life, because in real life, they, that, the man was shot twice in the back of the head. Yeah. And, well, yeah. I mean, I guess I, I think people seem to think that I, it seems to think there's some basis, in fact, as far as the idea of him being drugged. I don't know. if I, I don't I, I, I watched that. Um, I watched that uh, documentary episode that O'Neill gave his interview, and he didn't explicitly say anything about drugging him. But I feel like I saw somewhere that might be based in a little bit of fact. Mm. But I, I read that he, I read that the drugging is true, but he denies it. I um, read, but I'm not sure. In, in, in any event, I, I was, I was almost, I was really actually taken aback just because, like, I did not see it coming in that way. I didn't realize it was an execution under those circumstances, and the, I did. I mean, just crazy that, like. I mean, I, I, I don't want to say crazy because cops get off for doing terrible stuff all the time these days, but like like 99 bullets to one, and I, I just didn't realize that was what it was. And it was like I, it was like a cruel irony of it to Bill O'Neill that like, did they really even need that guy? If they were going to if they were just going to murder him. If they, anyway. You're right. If they were going to go in guns a blazing, all they had to know was his address. Did they really need a blueprint of the apartment if they were going to go in and fire 99 shots to one? And it was like, wow, like if they were going to just be that blatant about it the whole time, what did O'Neill really give them? Like they gave him a little piece of information here or there, but they had Fred Hampton's address. Like what? Well, you know, I I get it. Like, if you're trying to infiltrate an organization, it helps to have a guy on the inside. But if like that was Hoover's ultimate goal anyway, like you know, O'Neill's like, wow, I did all that for like, and they really didn't even need me in the first place. And then, by the way, sorry, this is this is the silliest note to make. I apologize for this, but every time I think William O'Neill, I want to say Ron O'Neill, the guy who was the star of Superfly. Oh, but um, what I was going to tell you, uh, like when you were talking about like the execution of Fred Hampton, right? Uh, w- one thing that sort of, you know, obviously this movie is like timely and stuff like that. And though I like, you know, I, I, I believe it was made like way before the events of George Floyd and stuff. But like what kind of struck like the shootout scenes, it's hard to watch the film and not think of like Breonna Taylor and that's what sort of made it even a little bit Definitely. more like powerful and it kind of has that baggage going for it as well yeah I did, I did, yeah I did. that's what I, that's what I was thinking about when I didn't I tried to stop myself short when I was about to say it was shocking that like they could get off or something like that because it's not shocking because of what we saw last year with Breonna Taylor but at the same time it's just like it was not my understanding that like the FBI did something just like 
that blatant without without even the pretense of like you know we're going in because like we think a drug dealer was not like or, again yeah, like or like like trying to cover it up like, right 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 like didn't even pretend to like have a good reason like they did in the case of Brianna Taylor they're just like you know we think the Black Panthers are hanging out there so we're gonna go bust the doors down it's basically what it was and somehow they got away, and they and they still got away with it. I mean, it's not, it's not, there's even a precedent in American history, you know, I was actually just learning about, and I genuinely didn't know, uh, like the, the, the crackdown on socialist and leftist organizations, uh, post-World War One. Yeah, no, like that's, I mean, like you have a lot of red scares, Um, like, you know, the, uh, the trial, the, uh, uh, of of the Rosenbergs, and then you have, uh, you know, Sacco and Vanzetti and stuff like that. Um, though I think they're more anarchists, but like, it's part of that red scare. Can I ask you guys, can I ask you guys about the, uh, Jesse Plemons character? Because we, we, we just mentioned, uh, trial of Chicago seven and I, I saw parallels in that to the Joseph Gordon-Levitt character there in that you're. Well, to be fair, I, I think that's unfair to this movie. Well, no, I'm, 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 no, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, I'm saying they handled it differently. Uh, is, okay, is what right, I'm okay. saying. I, that, okay. That's where I'm going with it. But like, I was like, yeah. oh, I see, I see the potential for them to like try and redeem this white character at the center of it. And like, as we say, as we said when we did that podcast, I wasn't necessarily opposed to them doing that with the Joseph Gordon Levin character because the lawyer in me would just have not found a trial compelling to like have just just uh, just like have the other side be like so easily like evil like it just wouldn't have been interesting for me to watch otherwise but i certainly did not need that in i did not need the white character redeemed in this movie and it looks like they're going in that direction at that one scene in the middle of the movie when j when he's talking to j edgar hoover and he's trying to be like oh so is your six six month old daughter gonna bring him a black guy then what are you gonna do and it seems like they're trying to position uh Mitchell as being like the reasonable guy within the FBI at that point because he just because he's not on Hoover's level as far as being a blatant racist but he kind of he just kind of buys in and goes the other way and I'm like okay like this is more realistic I kind of respect that the movie didn't try and like totally redeem him even if they showed him trying to talk himself into thinking he was better than everyone else it doesn't ultimately like come down on the side of that so I was curious if if their choices with respect to him kind of struck you guys the same way. Yeah, and by the way, like the character, like you, like throughout the movie, like as you were saying, like the Jesse Plemons character always came across as like irredeemable, like he was like the bad guy, especially when you know he's at the rally, like almost like intimidating, like Keith Stanfield, like you know, you, you know what you got to do, you know, uh, we're watching you, all right. Um, but what's kind of funny now that you mentioned that in trial of Chicago Seven in comparison, I think we probably brought it up at the time. What's hilarious about the Joseph Corey Levitt character is that that was a fabrication that like Aaron Sorkin did. Like he he, he, he was the sympathetic. You he, know, he, he was uh, he was yes he was apparently co- totally down for the cause, and by the cause yeah. I mean the, the the wrong side. Yeah, <laughs> but like with uh, in, I actually do agree uh, with you. In that the Jesse Plemons character is interesting to me in comparison to Trial of the Chicago 7, because I do think that in some ways the, the characters kind of serve the same function. Uh, they just have, clear the filmmakers have wildly different perspectives on what that function represents. Hmm. Uh, in both cases, I think both characters are meant to be like the sort of, they or at least perceive themselves to be the apolitical observer, the guy just doing their job. The guy who's just making sure that the establishment, you know, the machine of the establishment works in the way it's originally intended to. But whereas Aaron Sorkin sees that as like a check on like the radical, huh? Or noble. He sees the. Yeah, he sees that as noble. He sees the noble and an important check on the uh, radicalism within the system. Uh, This guy sees him as you know, that person, the person who's just like, hey, I'm here just doing my job as the enabler of the, uh, you know, uh, right-wing paranoia that is inherent within the American political system. Like, so, going back to the silence of the white moderate, it's, like, even more dangerous than the explicit, like, racist type of Yeah, yeah, that kind of rhetoric, yeah. I, I, I think that this movie, and in that sense, I would say that this movie does adopt a revolutionary perspective more in keeping with the character than, like, say, One Night in Miami. To be fair, like, because, like, there's this uh, a negative review of the movie um, in Vulture, um, and the headline is Judas and the Met, Black Messiah is Hollywood co-op- co-opting radicalism or something like that, black radicalism. And I think, like, 
to your point about like oh like the movie and by the way I, I, I don't know but to me like in terms of like the structure of the movie I, I think I would give it a little bit more credit than you would about whether or not it's like revolutionary for like a biopic but that being said I think that's more like the fact that the uh, movie has caught up to that point of view when it comes to that type of character I think that's just more Hollywood finally catching up to you know this this moment where there's a lot more diverse voices making movies and stuff like that and like the people who watch like a movie like this are a little bit more woke and kind of are suspecting if it's a warner brothers hbo max movie about fred hampton they're expecting that like they're going to go more in the trials of chicago seven way you know and that they would actually get black for that especially in a post green book world i like how the world's divided between pre and post green book yeah some people divided pre and post 9-11 some people <laughs> divided pre and post corona my tragedy is green book one people. best picture god damn yeah it'd be interesting to see how this one does with the words itself because i mean obviously it would be way more deserving of winning just about anything that uh than that green book won. but i if they released it really late in the award season and uh, and, and, and I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, okay. Know. Now that you mentioned it, that'd be yeah. hilarious that like if Kaluuya won best supporting actor, he won like, like the, the same body gave Mahershala Ali an Oscar for best supporting actor for playing like this subservient black character. <laughs> and then give it to Daniel Kaluuya for playing Fred Hampton. And also kind of even, even more funny that Fred Hampton is the supporting character in his own biopic? Ain't that a bitch? Yeah, but I mean, I, like, I, yeah, but I, I think it's, I think it's almost unfair to the movie to call it a biopic, though. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, yeah. wait, wait, wait. Okay, all right. Now you're getting into that little bullshit that some people do. Well, it's like you know, it's not actually like a horror film or whatever. No, it's about like real life historical it's a, figures. It's, and it's, the, a, it's a biopic. Yeah, it's a biopic. Now, if you said it was, like, unfair to, like, you know, say the fact that he's a supporting character because of award purposes and, like, you know, because the movie's taking an interesting perspective on this, I'd be like, okay, that's fair. You know, it's just, it's just kind of fun. But yeah, it's, I it's a chastised yeah, post. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's just a, a pet peeve of his, just generally. Oh yeah! By the way, real quick, that was that was Lil Rel, right? It was. What did yeah, you guys th- What do you guys think about that scene? I mean, I don't think it added much, to be honest with you. But like, I was staring at it the entire time. Like, what am I supposed to be feeling here? I was trying to. I was trying to. I was trying to think about just what to make of it. I mean, I thought it was interesting to see him. You know, just do something like that as opposed to just doing the little rel thing. Uh, and I, I was like, okay, cool. Like, I, I guess I kind of bought that this guy could be some kind of like, you know. Uh, deep undercover FBI operative, but I was, I don't know. I was like, I, I was, it also, it really caught me off guard. I was like, I, cause I think I knew he was going to be in the movie, but I'd forgotten he was going to be in the movie. I was like, huh, what are they going for here? Well, know. I'll tell you what they went for. Brian Tyree Henry was just unavailable that day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's oh, that's I, I, I could see, I, I well, could see. Ralph. Like, I, like, he's a good actor. I'm, I'm just, it was just there. Reminds me. I feel, I feel like I, I should go. Uh, it, it makes me. It makes me think about how like he he had that one scene in If Beale Street Could Talk, uh, which I mean, uh, I don't need to rehash Daniel's feelings on that movie. But I was about to, I was about to make the comment like, oh, would well, they could. Eh, we don't we don't need to. You, they, people, that's already an episode of this podcast. But I, I I was about to make a comment like, oh, Brian Tyree Henry has better things to do than like go make one scene of a movie. But like he d- did exactly that in If Beale Street Could Talk. So uh, who knows. Uh, Josh, is there anything else that we didn't touch on yet that you wanted to say about uh, Judas and the Black Messiah? Actually, to your point about Brian Tyree Henry doing a one-scene role in a movie, I was going to say it was a different time. That's the that's the pre-Green Book era. So, like, <laughs> it was a different time in his life. You know, now he wouldn't do such moves. But, um, no, I really liked the movie. Um, I'd be comfortable giving the field if it won Best Picture. Not that awards really matter. Um, I think it's a good political thriller. Um, I, I didn't mean to sound too harsh on it. Daniel, anything else you wanted to say about this movie? Uh, you know, I, I, I think I like it. 
I, 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 over the course of us talking about it, I'm like, I, maybe, maybe I don't, I don't even know. Um, it's like a, you know, three, 3.5 for me. Like, I don't, I'm not even sure how I feel about it really. Um, I, I think that there's a lot left on the table. You know what I mean? Like, I think that it could have gone further in one way or the other, uh, maybe by like, you know, I think if it adopted a more, I think that the movie could have done, you know, had a little bit more of a revolutionary spirit, honestly, in keeping with the people that it's portraying. Um, I think that it could have gone into a little more detail about the activities of these people. Um, I think that it could have done more to humanize the characters, but at the end of the day, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll admit that I, it was an easy watch, like watching it. I mean, it looks good. The performances are really powerful. And, uh, you know, I just see, I, thought, I just wish it did more. See, I thought Daniel was gonna say it was missing a horse, and then if, it, <laughs> if only. It. I, I has anyone listened to the soundtrack though? No, I'm not. See, admittedly, I haven't either, but I've had I've I've seen a couple of the songs pop up in my Spotify. They have it has a great looking soundtrack. They've got songs from Nas, uh, JID, Dirk, Pushyski, who's one of these new. What annoys me about that is like, okay, then why is it in the movie? Well, because these are all rappers. Yeah, no, no. But, 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 but wouldn't that be the revolutionary thing if you like trunk a traditional score and actually have like rap music that embodied like the feeling of like the characters? You know, like, like, like I, I, that's the one thing that kind of annoys me. It's just like, all right, you did all this work. Wait, you for... think, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You think that. Uh, Pooh Shiesty represents the spirit of Fred Hampton. <laughs> <laughs> like Pooh no. Shiesty, admittedly, I, look, I'm no no disrespect. I've never heard of that. Pooh, I've only heard that little Pooh Shiesty song. Uh, I don't know nothing about him, but like I, I don't know. I, I don't really see it. Like ASAP Rocky represents the revolution. No, but I just meant I meant like all right. If you're like, because like we're still at a point where like Hollywood movies very rarely like feature rap or whatever, and I know that it would be uh, uh, anchron in- uh of it. But what I was getting at was like sort of like I would be a revolutionary move, just like all right, we're gonna chunk like spirit specific like music and just you know have these like contemporary artists like you know put the songs on it like i just you know i'm just saying like that you know like it would be kind of a cool move for a biopic to do that and just like i always get a little bit annoyed when i see like the soundtrack that's really good and i'm just like why don't you just put that in the movie i don't know yeah, well, I uh, interesting. I'll have to go uh, listen to it and see if anything uh, jumps out as something that should be the uh, the opening music to this episode. Uh, I just like the image of Josh Chernovoy bumping the poo shice. Slaps, slaps. Why wasn't this in the movie? Hey, I, I, I need to start educating myself on every kind of music. So who knows? Maybe I'll have some kind of uh, revel, uh, re- revelation in my uh, taste. Uh, mm. I'll, I'll, I'll I'll just go ahead and say, like, I, I highly recommend the movie. Uh, I don't know. I think for someone that doesn't, I mean, not that it. Holds holds your hand through these issues but i think it's a i think it's an important watch for people who like me didn't know much about the black panthers and you'll get a really good sense of just what they stood for and why some of the more powerful white forces in this country felt the need that to step in and do something about it and why those forces might not be as uh, as in the dark as we would hope they are today based on a lot of what people stand for and how these Black Panthers were ahead of their time in a lot of their political positions because that was just a that was something that was uh, an education for me in watching this movie and I think it's really worth it in that regard but also because there's a lot of great performances and a lot of good supporting performances too I think just I think the cast is filled out nicely even if it doesn't have time to give everyone you know a full like real development I mean Algie Smith and Ashton Sanders are like pretty good actors and that like just kind of uh, fill out a lot of these other Black Panthers on the periphery of the movie and I think it's uh, really worth it to uh, appreciate their performances as well beyond the ones that we've already talked about. Uh, Josh, uh, anything else you want to recommend that you've been watching recently before we sign off? No, I'm good. All right, Daniel, how about you? Uh, Well, I admittedly, I haven't been watching 
too much. By the way, huh? that's why I gave you a flippant response, just because I haven't really been watching. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. I, I appreciate it because you know, for all I know, Daniel could be about to could be listing uh, eleven black exploitation movies over the course of the next fifteen minutes. So, well, actually, that's kind of what I was gonna do. Oh, okay. um, well, I got a. Uh, I've got a couple docs to recommend to people if they're more interested in learning more about the Black Panthers. There yeah. was a, I think, I think this was a PBS doc uh, from a couple years ago, uh, the Black Panthers Vanguard of the Revolution, which is, uh, I think, where I first had the first Fred Hampton thing like detailed for me. There's Black Panthers, the famous short doc by Agnes Varda. I believe that's on Criterion Collection. If you got that. Um, it's I like did 30 not minutes. Know Agnes Varda made a documentary about the Black Panthers. Oh yeah, yeah. She made it while I think uh, uh, her husband uh, Demi. She was he was in Hollywood, and so she was she happened to be here, and she was like, you know, why not? Um, she 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 actually interviews Huey P. Newton. So uh, and then there's a uh, oh man, what was it called? The Black Power mixtape, 1967 to 1975, uh, which was a documentary made uh, like 10 years ago using footage that was captured by uh, Swedish journalists. So they have a lot of like rare interview footage that, you know, I don't think you're going to see outside of the movie from Angela Davis, Bobby Seale, Newton, Cleaver, you know, a lot of these activists of the era. Uh, and finally, um, which is something we didn't mention, to, I didn't meant talk about uh, in the podcast, but I feel like this movie could have done a little better job, like, I don't know, going into Chicago. Uh, I don't get a great sense of the city itself, which is kind of weird considering how it also filmed, was, it also filmed in Cleveland, I think. Yeah, filming well, that's why I didn't go into Chicago. But um, like I mentioned, I know I've I've recommended this movie. I think in like a dozen different podcasts I've done with you. But you know, I'm going to continue to do it. So whatever. Uh, Spooker sat by the door, man. You know, set in Chicago. A movie that was suppressed by the FBI that only really started to get fully appreciated this past decade. It's a movie about a revolutionary who joins the CIA, fakes being like, you know, the uh, the uh, Bill O'Neill character. Yeah. And then comes back to Chicago in order to jumpstart the Black Revolution based on a novel that was intended to be a blueprint for the Black Revolution. Uh, the movie was suppressed by the FBI. They pressured theaters to not show it uh, because they feared riots you know quote unquote and uh didn't see a home video release until like 2005 the movie came out in 73 so um highly recommend that i think it's one of the greatest movies ever made and i think that it does uh capture that that the spirit of the era in a way that this movie kind of uh drops the ball on is it on youtube I believe you can find a copy on. It's not going to be the okay. best quality. I, 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 I asked because I pulled it up on Letterboxd because I would be curious in watching it too, and it just doesn't have any. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you can find it in full on YouTube, but okay. admittedly, it's not going to be as good quality as if you pick up the DVD, which I still recommend. Oh, finally, I, I, I'm not interested in. I'm not interested in owning any DVDs unless they are Mel Gibson movies where he plays Santa Claus. So, <laughs> finally, um, one more. Uh, recommendation is a book that I have been working my way through very, very slowly. Um, you know what? And I just realized that I forgot the damn title of the book. It's some like, you know, fairly dry academic thing um, on the uh, what's it called on unionization in the 1930s using uh, Chicago as the uh, one moment. Let me see if I can find the name because this is this is important. But like it's a book about like how unionization efforts in the 1930s finally managed to win, uh, you know, workers' rights uh, when they failed. These efforts sort of failed in the 1920s. It uses Chicago specifically as a blueprint, and it examines, you know, what went wrong in the 20s and how, uh, you know, mass culture that emerged in the third 20s and 30s like helped uh, uh, make these sorts of uh, well change is possible is this like uh yeah this is like with your like solinsky types right i don't know who that is so he was uh, a community activist that worked through the chicago industrial areas foundation helping poor organized uh poor communities organized and stuff and like he was part of the new left generation okay so he's from the 60s but um he wrote rules for radical which is about like how to organize you know? mm, i gotcha oh let me see the name of the book is oh man i thought i had it okay you can look for it and i will do all the other end of podcast things and maybe you'll find it then oh, uh, making a new deal 
Okay, there you go. Uh, the one thing I'll recommend, and I can't give like a, a full-throated recommendation, like, oh my God, this is amazing, but I consider myself a Steven Soderbergh guy, and I was ashamed I'd never actually watched The Nick, and I just watched the first episode of it this morning, and I really enjoyed it, and I'm looking forward to it. So, if, But if you if you have a strong enough stomach for some uh, weird surgery uh, stuff, uh, but set oh, in the— Oh, that was the, the doctor one. Yeah, but set in the, yeah. set in the early no, 20th been, century— I- Mm. See, here's the thing. I'm kind of like Josh where, like, I've been very into Soderbergh and, like, that is something I've been meaning to get to and I've heard nothing but praise except for Brian De Palma. It was funny. I've heard two directors, one, like, praising it a lot, like Spielberg, about, like, the directing of it and then I've heard Brian De Palma, like, like say, like, Soderbergh has no visual eye and, and, and like, use that it's as the a... the wildest thing to say. Yeah, like, um... Tarantino uh, then, can't like, yeah. write. Huh? <laughs> Tarantino can't write. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, no. So like, and here it was, that was like mommy and daddy fighting for me because like the palm is one of my guys. You know? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I don't know. I, I I can only speak to the first episode of the Nick, and I thought it was pretty exciting. And uh, I mean, it, it's pretty gnarly with some of the like the surgical stuff that goes on in it. And I winced and looked away a couple of times, but I was still I was still pretty into it. So. Uh, if that sounds like if, if a Steven Soderbergh uh, movie about a, a surgeon that is addicted to cocaine in 1900 New York uh, sounds interesting to you, then I can always say the first episode is pretty exciting. So uh, that's my recommendation for this week. Uh, if you'd uh, like to hear any more of my thoughts on anything, as usual, you can find me on Twitter at Josh Chernovoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y on Letterboxd, same thing. Podcast Twitter is at Rewind Movie Pod, podcast email, the Rewind Movie Pod at gmail.com. Either of you guys want to plug your letterbox? Oh, um, JKB1626, you know. Uh, I don't like to plug it too much because okay. I don't want my students to always Yeah, D- Daniel's felonious funk, correct? Yep, felonious funk. All right. Well, if you, I, I, I want to thank Josh and Daniel again for joining. You can follow them there if you'd like to do that. Uh, coming up next on the podcast, I might have an episode on Nomadland. I might have it on something else if I decide to watch something else this weekend that I can get someone to talk about, though I have a Nomadland episode ready to go. So we'll be back next week with something or another. So thank you all for listening. Thanks again to Josh and Daniel for joining me, and we'll see you next time.